Well, good morning. All right, I got a question for you. How many of you want to be an extraordinary follower of Christ? What about the rest of you? You just want to be like average, declining, what do you want to be? Okay, if you want to be, we're going to put the pressure on. If you want to say, you know, I'm not now, but I want to be an extraordinary follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to stand to your feet. Come on, stand to your feet. All right. Now, are you happy you stood to your feet or you just did it because I asked you to? All right. Put your hands together. Start clapping. You're clapping for the people on your left and your right because they want to be an extraordinary Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, you can, thank you. You can be seated. So this week I was doing some light study in uh, physics, and I was studying critical mass. And I was so thrilled with the parallels I saw between physics, the following of Jesus Christ, and critical mass. So a lot of you go, what is critical mass? Well, I want to kind of illustrate in a couple of ways. Um, I want to start with, let's suppose I had, in physics, I was going to create something nuclear, let's say. And let's say that I had two properties that were 4x, two piles of stuff, okay? And so these can accomplish a certain amount because they're 4x. But if I had another pile that was 6x, it would accomplish more than 2 at 4. Because coming together, they create a critical mass. Do you know that the Bible says when two or more of you agree together about anything they ask, that it shall be done, that there's a special presence that comes when we come together. And that is a principle of physics. Now, let me show you something. Critical mass, if by definition it is, the amount of material that must be present for a chain reaction to occur. So what we want to do as believers, we want to create a chain reaction of our faith. We want to get momentum. We want to hit tipping points. We want to drive what we believe so powerfully and so kindly and so lovingly that people want what we have because we have created a chain reaction in their life. Now, if you think about it, there's, there's three different kind of dimensions of this. I've mentioned the second one, which is critical mass. But there's also something called subcritical. And then there is supercritical. Okay? Now, if I illustrate it, subcritical is something looks like this. Okay? Critical mass maintains that it has enough matter to create a chain reaction. Now, stay with me. I'm not going to get any deeper than this on this subject of physics because I'm already over my head. Okay. Supercritical goes like this. And the reason is because the more you have, the faster everything can move in your life, or in the case of physics, in the case of matter. And so you create a chain reaction that's working faster. It's taking on new levels beyond what you ever would have imagined. So I want to ask you a question. Now, if you think about your Christianity, the, what, the one you're living right now, would you describe it with which arrow? Would you just say, well, you know what? It's kind of going down the tank. Or I'm kind of maintaining and I've got enough matter to get some chain reaction going. Or would you say, no, I'm taking it out of the roof. I'm moving in such a way, in love with God in such a powerful way, that evidence in my life can be seen where I am changing lives wherever I go. Now, the reason I asked you when we started, do you want to be an extraordinary Christian? I think everybody does. But how? 
What do I do? What's necessary for me to get involved in it? I want, you to, I want to take you back to the first century to a guy named Jesus. Remember him? Okay, Jesus is a man who starts a movement. He comes and he, he, he begins to walk the seashore there, and he looks over and he begins to call out people to be his apostles. And so one goes to 12. So a man created a movement. Once that 12 began to follow, Jesus began to realize we're going to begin to take this to another level. We're going to take it beyond here, and he begins to call out 70. Now he has 70 disciples. So now one has gone to 70, and then when we come to Acts, we find out that 70 goes to 120. There's 120 gathered in the upper room. It doesn't sound like much. 120 people, what can they really do? And yet then the, the guy whose name is Peter he, he's one of the apostles, and he denies the Lord three times. You ever denied the Lord? Sure you have. Sure you have. Guess what? It's not the end of the road. You pick up and you move on. Amen? Okay. So all of a sudden, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and says, Hey, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And all of a sudden it says in the scriptures that they were cut to their heart. They, they thought, what are we going to do? You're right. We crucified an innocent man. What do we do? And he says, he says you need to be saved from this perverse generation. Now we're going to get to that in a moment. All right, so now all of a sudden we go 3,000. Then you turn the chapter. You go over a couple of chapters there, and you come to chapter 4. And guess what? Not only 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost, but now there's 5,000 men. doesn't even list the women and the kids. 5,000 men, so we have at least 8,000, potentially 12 to 15,000, who come to faith in Christ. This man started a movement that's now about 15,000 people. Now remember, that may not sound like a lot in global population, but for the population of Jerusalem, it was massive. And they weren't this kind of follower of Jesus. They were this kind of follower of Jesus Christ. So now all of a sudden, you come to to Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, about 25 years into the movement, and the Bible says that they had turned the world upside down. What does that mean? It means that wherever they went, they were preaching and teaching the powerful presence of God in such a way that the world was turned on in. They said, wait a minute, we need to reevaluate our belief system. We need to look differently. Then you come to chapter 19, and it says, all of Asia heard the word of God. They were so diligent in the message that they were spreading the word everywhere they went. I'm sure some were this kind. Some, by this time, some were this and some were this. But everyone was speaking the word of God wherever they went. You know, I read a book when I was in college about the return of Christ, and when I got done reading it, I knew I was in trouble. I went and got a Bible. I read the New Testament four times through the first month. Then I really knew I was in trouble because everything it said not to do, I'd already done like four times. I didn't know a single Christian to go talk to. I didn't have a single Christian come up to me and tell me about Jesus. Do you realize from the day that I found Christ till today, I've not had one person come up and try to tell me about Jesus? Now think about that. You know what that tells me? We've got a whole lot of these kind of Christians. You say, well, I do that, but I don't know what to say. Let me tell you what you say. You go up to somebody and say, hey, do you know Jesus is your Savior, your Lord? They go, no, what are you talking about? And they say, well, I, I follow Jesus, and I believe in him, and I follow him. And then they start asking all the questions. You go, I don't know the answer to those questions, but what I do know is he loves me, and he loves you too. Amen? You're out of there. 
don't think you have to have all the answers to all the skeptics' questions in order to just begin to start a chain reaction in people's lives. Just start somewhere. If you don't know the answer, just say, I don't know. That's a great question. Can we talk about it later? I'll get some more answers. But we want to keep this momentum moving. We want to keep going. Well, there's been a lot of uh, things said today uh, in the press, and, you know, the church is dying. Church is dying. Secularization is taking over. And we kind of believe that, right? We kind of go, well, I guess that must be true. I mean, they're reporting it. Like all news is true news, right? And so we go, yeah, that must be true. Um, when we moved from uh, Ohio to Denver, in Ohio, our boys were on really winning football teams. And then we moved to Denver, and they were on really losing football teams. I mean, they had bad coaches, bad players, and, you know, they would, win, they would lose every game. Just, you know, and, you know, the little pep talk like, hey, winning's not everything. Oh, yeah, tell the nine-year-old who just lost nine straight games is not everything, right? So nobody wanted to be a part of the team. They were going to have a celebration part at the end. Who want, what are we going to celebrate? We lost 10 games straight? This is not celebration. Everybody wants to be a part of a winning team, amen? Right? Okay, how many of you are Lakers fans? Raise your hand. I don't care if they win or lose, I'm a Lakers fan. Okay, how many of you are New York Yankees fans? Come on, raise your hand, Yankees. Okay, those are my two teams. Football, I don't care. I go with the winner. Who's winning? I'm on that. That's my team. I just got so tired of playing. I'm just, you know, but, so we all have things that we, that we adhere to, we follow after. Let me tell you something. If you think Christianity is losing, why do you want to be a part of the team? The enemy is trying to convince you and I that Christianity is not working. Interesting, I came across a study done by Harvard University. It's just a recent study. It was done in June at Indiana University, and they were asking the question, is the church in decline? What they expected to find in their research was, yes, the church is in decline. Just the opposite came out. They found just the opposite is true. And I want to give you just a little bit of the statistics and a little bit from that study, Harvard University, Indiana University. Here's a quote that caught my attention immediately. The percentage of church-attending Americans relative to overall population, okay, so they're comparing a period in history, and they're saying relative to population, how many people are going to church in 1776? Here's what it said. The population is more than four times greater than it was in 1776. We have more, four times more people attending church today than when our nation was founded as a Christian nation. Now think about that. We don't hear that information very much, but Harvard reported it. And it said, and it goes on to say, and I quote, the number of attendees has continued to rise each and every decade over our nation's history right up until the present day. That's good news. Here's another quote. When the so-called progressive churches, now progressive means they really don't believe the Bible, they really don't believe that Jesus did what he said, they don't believe in miracles. When progressive churches, they, go, they write, question the validity of Jesus, deny the reality of sin, listen to this, the people who desire real Christianity head elsewhere. In other words, why would you want to be in a church that doesn't believe in Jesus, miracles, the power of God, changed lives, the return of Christ? Why would you want to be in that church? You see, what's happening is every mainline church today in America is in decline, every single one of them. Guess what? 
non-denominational churches have shown over the last decade a 4,000% increase in attendance. What is that telling you? Okay, remember we started with a man? Here's Jesus, the man. He starts a movement. Once the movement starts moving, if you're not careful, it turns into a machine. Christianity becomes religion. It becomes something we just do. We come on Sunday morning, we evaluate it, we go home, and we don't live it out. And then eventually it becomes a monument. We worship the monument of this great denomination. Hey, God didn't create denominations. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be tags on some that say Baptist, Presbyterian, Assembly of God. You know, it's going to be one tag that says the blood of the Lamb of God. Amen? Every tongue, every tribe is going to sing unto the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb to receive power and glory and honor. And everyone will stand and they will cast their throne, their crowns at the feet of Jesus who is worthy alone. They're not going to worship the denomination. Who cares? Get in a fight now. It doesn't matter. It's stupid. Did I make it clear enough? So then they looked at millennials. They said millennials are leaving the church. Guess what? Just the opposite is true. The millennials that are not in church are ones that were never in church. See how the stat gets, gets skewed? What they found out is the millennials who, are, millennials who are raised in a house, they attend a, ch a conservative church, they believe in God, they're not declining, they're actually increasing in attendance in the church in America. You know what makes the difference? Is the mom and dad. The mom and dad who are committed to their church, committed to following Christ, they get in a church that believes in the word of God, believes in miracles, begin, be, believes that God is doing something great in our day. Those are the churches that are working today. Those are the ones we need to take a, a note of and be careful to say we're going to follow after God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. Amen? I got a good report. Uh, I just did our little study. I, I compared September last year, September this year, and our attendance is up 30% over last year. Amen? Children's is up 50%. So we're doing pretty good. Amen? I like that. Okay, so then let's look at, Harvard went on to say, let's look globally, what's happening in Asia. So they looked at Asia, and they found out in 2017 there were 350 million people who were believers in Asia. Guess what? In 2025, they project it'll be 460 million and it's a little bit hard to know because that includes China, and there's so much underground movement of Christianity, that number could literally be, they say, as many as 200 million more than that number. Nepal, the only Hindu kingdom in the world, in 1959 had 29 Christians. Now think of that, 29 Christians. Today they have 500,000 Christians. You see... God's working. The church is not failing at all. Let me give you a little bit more. Mongolia, 1989, there were four Christians. Today, 20,000. Africa, 1910, there were 10 million Christians. 2017, there's 500 million, and they say by 2025, there'll be 633 million believers in Africa. Latin America has 640 million Christians. Oh, let me give you another stat that's interesting. They rank the top 20 countries that have the fastest growing Christian population. 11 out of the 20 are Muslim majority countries. Now think of that. Muslims are coming to faith in Christ so quickly that it literally is disarming the leadership within Islam itself. This is an amazing statistic when you begin to think about it. You see, if you think about it, if you're born in a Muslim family, you will be Muslim. 
If you're born in a Christian family, you make a choice for conversion. If you're born in a Muslim family and you want to become a Christian, then you face the penalty of death. Do you realize that to have 11 of the 20 countries in the highest percentage of growth of Christians, those Christians are not these kind of Christians. They're the kind of Christian that says, I will give my life for the cause of Jesus, and most of them do. Because they so believe in the resurrected power of Jesus Christ that they're not going to let anything get in their way of that call of God on their life because they know their life is not about today. Their life is about today and eternity. It's both and. It's not just one or the other. Well, I went on and researched a little bit more into this study, and it says that what was it that caused Muslims to come to faith in Christ? This was so interesting. And here is the number one reason. It was answered prayer and healing. When they saw evidence of of prayers being answered, when they saw people healed, they believed in Jesus. The number of Muslims in these countries, Muslim-dominated countries, that are having visions of Jesus, there's no Bible, there's no preaching around, Jesus is appearing to them. You see, because God, if there's a hungry heart, God's going to show up and bring the answer to someone. Amen? All right, number two reason was unconditional love by, uh, by Christians. When Christians unconditionally love people of the Islamic faith, it says something to them because they've been taught just the opposite. So when we unconditionally love them, you've heard us tell the story. I I just want to keep telling it because it's so good. We had uh, two Muslim women come into our church. They thought they were going to the post office. They ended up at the prayer wall. We ended up uh, finding out that uh, one of them had a son, 16-year-old son, that had a brain tumor. And uh, they started crying, and, and we put prayer requests in the, in the prayer wall. They kept coming back, and then they were gone. They, we didn't see them for a couple of weeks. And then finally, the one of them came, they both came in, and one of them was crying. The mother was crying. And when he, whenever women cry for guys, it's never good news, right? Amen? Okay, so anyway, they came in, they're crying, and said, you know, you think the worst. They said, what's, what's going on? We just came from the doctor, and the doctor said that there is no sign of the tumor, that, that our son is, uh, my son has been completely healed. And here's what was the most telling. She said, I know your Jesus did this. She said, I can't come to church, but can I keep coming to the prayer wall? The number three reason that Muslims are leaving Islam and going to Christianity is because of the dignity of women. Because in Christianity, women are considered equal to men, and they're accepted and loved, and they're part of God's plan for eternity. Let me give you a world stat, and then we're going to get into the sermon. This is just kind of the warm-up, all right? They're saying that by the year 2050, there will be 3 billion Christians worldwide. doesn't sound like we're on a losing team to me. Remember, if 12 can change the world... What could you do? What, what, could, what could, when you start looking at those numbers, what could 3 billion Christians do if they were just here? Not even here. They just said, we're going to create a chain reaction. So today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about how to start a personal chain reaction spiritually in your life. How to be that extraordinary Christian. You stood up and said, I want to be that Christian. I want to be that person. And you know what? Guess what? It's not that hard. To take you from here to here is not hard. You say, well, I know I'm going to have to, you know, read my Bible 20 hours a week and fast, you know, 400 days a year and, you know, and by the way, there's not 400 days in a year, right? Okay, so, you know, I just know it's going to be bad. I, I just, it's miserable. No, 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 no. 
I promise you it's easier than you think. Here's the the first thing you can do. And this is not in the notes. This is just extra. So this doesn't count against my time. All right. So what you can do, you can get up every morning, set your timer for three minutes. Are you listening? Say, yes, I'm listening. Good. I want to make sure we're on the same page. Three minutes, and you read your Bible for three minutes. When the timer goes off, you close your Bible up. You do it every day. Three minutes, well, that's not much. It kind of takes away the whole idea that, you know, I don't have time. What's going to happen when that alarm goes off? Well, I want to keep reading. This is kind of good stuff. You see, what happens is once you get a taste of the living bread of life, once the Word of God begins to get in your system, it's hard to shut it off. But I want to try the discipline of seven days, three minutes a day, close it. And when you get done, it say, God, I want to thank you for your presence in my life. That's it. All you do. Try for seven days, see what happens. I promise you, if you're here on any level, and all, all these things are on degrees, but if you're here on any level, you're going to go into this level almost immediately in seven days. Almost immediately. If you're on this level, if you're on this level, you're going to go into this level almost immediately. Because your spirit man gets fed the Word of God. See, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the division, the Bible says, of the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow, and it reveals the true intentions of the heart. When you read the Word of God, your heart comes before you, and you look at it like you look in a mirror, and you go, my heart's not what I want it to be. And the Word of God is that transformational in your life. God is wanting to pour into you. First thing you want to do, the presence. The presence is critically important. The presence is the atmosphere of the kingdom. You say, well, I don't, what does that term mean, the presence?